Today we are doing the second in our sermon series, Outer Limits of Faith. And today I'm going to talk about the comfort zone. A comfort zone. Just what is a comfort zone? John W. Worcester, a Presbyterian minister and an author, describes it this way. At work or at play, home or school, or church or wherever, we learn the specific languages and the peculiar vocabularies. We learn what is effective, authoritative, cool, popular, funny, acceptable. We learn what to say and we learn what not to say. As we master the codes for proper behavior in these different contexts, we file this information alongside our passwords and PIN numbers and create for ourselves a sort of security blanket, a safe zone in which we live and in which we move and have our being. It is a zone in which is, all is pretty predictable, pretty comfortable, and pretty enjoyable. Bruce Wilkinson, a Christian writer and speaker, describes it this way. A comfort zone is a cozy quilt of relationships. It's the padding of routines that make us feel good. It is the security of acceptable behavior. It is the steel mesh of our past successes and our past failures. Our comfort zone completely surrounds our life in the familiar. Inside our zone, we feel safe. We're pretty sure we can succeed, look good, and feel happy there. Our first scriptural passage for today describes a comfort zone, and you have to remember this comfort zone existed centuries and centuries and centuries ago. It describes laying on beds of ivory and stretching upon couches, eating lamb and steaks, to chant to the sound of musical instruments, to drink wine from bowls, and to use rich oils. I guess you had to be there to call that a comfort zone. Comfort zones are frequently described not by being in them, but by what happens when you leave them. An old adage is, life begins at the edge of your comfort zone. Abraham Maslow said, at any given moment, you have two options. Step forward into growth or step back into safety. C.S. Lewis stated, you have to let go in order to move forward. And Albert Einstein said, a ship is always safe at the shore, but that is not what it was built for. I'll give you a simple example from my own life when I stepped out of a comfort zone. I'd been a skier for many years. I started skiing back in the 60s, and I skied a lot, and I could ski any slope you put in front of me. I even took a couple of racing classes. My biggest difficulty was to ski slow. That's difficult for some, and it was difficult for me. I was not very good at that. But the point is, resort skiing was my comfort zone. In the 80s, a very good friend of mine, who was also a very good skier, wanted me to go do this thing called helicopter skiing with him. 
I've told you stories of my hilly skiing adventures, but this is how it all started. Every year he would ask me, and every year I would say, I can't go. Uh, I got too much work to do. I'm too busy. I've been away from the office for too long. I've got a trial coming up and innumerable other excuses. To be honest with you, I had heard stories about helicopter skiing and how difficult it was and how downright dangerous it was. And quite frankly, I was scared to go. However, my friend was very persistent. And finally, one year, for some reason, I'll never know why, I said yes. A heli ski adventure begins when the bus you've ridden from the airport on pulls out into this big empty field in the middle of nowhere. And all of a sudden you hear this whoop, 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 whoop of a helicopter coming out of the Canadian Rockies to pick you up to take you to a very remote lodge. Then I was really scared. And to make a long story short, I stayed scared for about three to four days out of a whole week. But then I began to enjoy skiing in 30 to 40 feet of snow, skiing around, hopefully, crevasses. I came to gauge the risk of avalanche from the makeup of the snow and the angle and and degree of slope, skiing through trees that were so close there was no path through them. It was after stepping, or I guess in my case, skiing out of my comfort zone that I fell in love with the sport. And for 20 years plus, I went helicopter skiing every year and sometimes two or three times a year. Getting out of my comfort zone resulted in some wonderful life experiences. So how do we describe the comfort zone at the neighborhood church? I'll start by saying it is a wonderful comfort zone. 52 weeks a year. You can come here on Sundays and find peace and the holy nature of this sanctuary. On most Sundays, you can hear the beautiful music from this choir and from this organ and the lovely lady who plays it. You can speak through prayer to God who seems to be present here. You hopefully will learn something from the sermons that may deepen your faith or at least that you can carry with you for at least the next week. That's quite a comfort zone. But what do we do when something comes into our comfort zone that we're not prepared for? What do we do when something dislodges us from our comfort zone? What do we do when we are addressed in such a way that we do not immediately or confidently know how to respond? Something so unusual, so unpredictable, so unfamiliar that we don't have a handy response. What do we do when the Spirit of Jesus calls us out of our comfort zone to go beyond the limits of our faith? His call will likely come to us in unexpected ways, cast in tones that are disruptive and disturbing to our carefully woven world. Christ's call is not going to fit easily into what we are already doing. It's not going to slide neatly into the patterns and codes that we have already 
been living with. God has issued those calls before. One of the more famous people to receive that call was Moses. You know Moses. God told Moses that he was the chosen one to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. Now, Moses didn't want any part of that job. He was in his comfort zone, herding sheep, having a good life, and he did not want to step out of that comfort zone. So he gave many excuses to God, such as, Who am I to do such a thing as you ask? Or, suppose they won't believe the crazy story you're telling me that I spoke directly with God, and oh, by the way, God's name is I am who I am. Then he said he couldn't speak very well, so please, God, get somebody else. The excuses went on and on, but we all know how the story ends. Eventually, Moses answered God's call and helped lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Jesus called his future disciples out of their comfort zone by using two words. Follow me. Examples of that call are when he said, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. He also said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. His calls to follow him were not limited to his future disciples. When a rich man asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, sell everything you have. Give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then follow me. So, what will the call of Jesus Christ to follow him really mean for each one of us in our comfort zones? We'd like to have something easy and simple to do, but that's probably not going to happen. Sitting by the bedside of a dying individual, to give comfort, to let them know of your presence and the presence of God. Or going to a part of town you were always afraid to go and were told that it would be dangerous. Entering into an old dilapidated house with 12 people living in it and becoming the voice of a young child that is in the foster care system because of some abuse afflicted upon her. Or going to a third world impoverished country, living in a small village to help them obtain clear water, help them get basic medical care, and assist in giving the children their first taste of an education. Or going into a prison as a part of a prison ministry to be with those that are paying their debts to society, but still have a soul that longs to be heard. Or telling our friends or co-workers that what they want us to do violates our basic Christian beliefs and therefore we simply will not do it. The call of Jesus may ask us to speak truth to power, to speak for and take action for 
the poor, the homeless, the marginalized, the victims of discrimination, and those who have been abused by power. Those words and those actions may bring to us criticism, isolation, and the loss of, rep- of, of relationships we truly loved. How do we respond to the call of Jesus, especially those calls? There are many ways, but fortunately for you, I'm only going to talk about three. Many times we respond with fear. I'm afraid what my, th- my friends might think or say. I'm afraid of failure <clears throat> or not meeting those expectations. I am afraid it might be different or more difficult than I expected. Fear of stepping out of our comfort zone is common. But we are told, the old saying, to feel the fear and do it anyway. We also have advice from the Apostle Paul at 1 Corinthians 10.13. No testing has overtaken you that is not uncommon to everyone. Not common to everyone. God is faithful and he will not not let you be tested beyond your strength. But with the testing, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to endure it. Another way we may respond to the call of Jesus Christ to follow me is with resistance. How will I have time to do that? My calendar is already full. I have too many patients, clients, students, children, or others that rely on my answer to them and not to the call I just heard. I serve on the board of directors or on that advisory board, and my contributions are far too important to follow the call of Jesus. In response to such resistance, the Apostle Paul, who, by the way, had an enormous step out of his comfort zone, again replies at Romans 12:2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And finally, we may respond to the call of Jesus Christ by feeling we don't have the skills or the ability to respond. We can see that type of response the way Moses responded. I found this wonderful quote from a Methodist minister and author, Richard Thrakill, that deals with this issue. He says, Look at your own hands. Stretch them out in front of your eyes and take a good look. Those hands, your hands, were made to do the work of God in this conflicted world. They are to be instruments of Jesus Christ and channels for the energy of the Holy Spirit. At the ends of your left and right arms are a pair of mirror images to lift in worship and to offer in work and to touch each other in love. So what stories do your hands tell? Have they pointed the ugly finger of gossip? Have they been, have they been balled up in fists of anger and rage? 
Have they turned the pages of the Bible this week? If there is a hand of a band of gold on the ring finger of your left hand, has its meaning been honored this week? What documents and checks have you signed? Have your hands been open to gestures of generosity or tight-fisted in gestures of greed? I think that's a great quote. If you wish, substitute the word hands for the words feet, eyes, ears, or brain. They are God's hands, feet, eyes, ears, or brain to be used in responding to the call of Jesus Christ. We all have been given some physical or mental abilities. Therefore, any alleged lack of ability is not an excuse to answer that call. Yes, answering the call of Jesus to follow him will always involve a risk. It will always involve an expansion of our faith beyond what we thought were the outer limits. Peter Drucker, a management consultant, says there are four kinds of risks. One kind of risk is the risk you simply must take. You have no other option. A second kind of risk is the one that you can't afford to take. You've calculated the cost, and it's worth it. The third kind of risk is a risk you cannot afford to take. The results would be disastrous. And the fourth risk is a risk you cannot afford you can afford not to take. With calls from Jesus Christ to follow him, there's no other option but to answer his call. We simply cannot afford to do otherwise. There's an important thing to note about the call of Jesus Christ. He says, follow me. He does not say, you lead and I'll follow. It is the path that he takes that we are to follow. The hill that he climbs, we are to also climb. The mud that he walks through, we're also to walk through. But the most important thing about his call is that he will be there with us. What Jesus Christ wishes us to do will not be easy. He never says it will be. But he will be there right with us during every difficulty we encounter, during every trial we endure, and during every persecution that we may have to suffer. And his presence through it all will give us the strength to make sure his call to follow is fully and completely carried out. Remember the words from our second scriptural passage for today. For just as the sufferings of Christ are abundant for us, so also our consolation is abundant through Christ. As John Henry Joad, a British Protestant preacher at the turn of the century, said, God does not comfort us, comfort us to make us comfortable but to make us comforters. Finally, I really want to make something perfectly clear. I have been speaking as if Jesus has yet to make his call to follow him to us. He has yet to say, follow me. 
Well, if that was true, it's true no longer. Please hear very clearly. Jesus Christ is telling us to follow him right here and right now. Follow me out of your comfort zone. Follow me to expand the boundaries of your faith and to walk the path that I have chosen for you right now, right here. Let it be so. Amen.